Proverbs says it this way. A worthless man digs up evil while his words are like scorching fire. A perverse man spreads strife. And a slanderer, or you might render it a gossip, or a whisperer, as the King, King James says it, separates intimate friends. Hello, and welcome to Search the Scriptures, the Bible teaching ministry of Dr. Carl Brogy. Dr. Brogy is the senior pastor of Community Bible Church in Beaufort, South Carolina. We are in our study in the book of James, chapter 3, where Pastor Carl covers the influence, iniquity, and inconsistency of the tongue and its effects on other people. Let me give you a hypothetical illustration. We'll call this man Mr. Arson. Mr. Arson is a business executive. He's been very successful as a CEO of his company, running his business for several years. He's proud of what he has accomplished. He is very punctual, always on time, but on one particular day, he's at the country club having lunch, talking endlessly, and then he realizes he should have left 10 minutes earlier. He jumps into his car, gets on the expressway, does 80 miles an hour down the expressway, and a police officer pulls him over, gives him a tongue lashing, and writes him a huge ticket. I mean, Mr. Arson is absolutely infuriated. He says to himself, why is that police officer not out there getting real crooks and criminals? Why is he picking on innocent, good citizens like me? I wasn't hurting anyone. I was driving safely. He gets back to the office. He is fuming. So he calls in the chief sales director. Davis, get in here. I have a question I need to ask you. Did you get that contract with that company? Well, no, sir. What do you mean, no, sir? Well, we lost the contract. What do you mean you lost the contract? Don't you know how much that company was worth to this business? Don't you know that that would open up a whole new field of development? Davis, I want you to know something. You may have been here for 17 years, but you are not irreplaceable. You better get out there and hustle some business and get another company that will make up for that. Well, Davis... He is infuriated. He begins to mumble to himself, that old codger, that old skin flint. He doesn't do anything around here. He's just a pompous figurehead. I'm the one really who's behind this company. I'm the one that makes this company work. So Davis gets his secretary on the phone. Mrs. Smith, those five letters I gave to you to type for my signature this morning, do you have them done yet? Why, no, sir. You told me that this other issue was a matter of precedence. And when I got around to it, get around to it, nothing. You need to have those five letters letters on my desk within an hour or you are done. You are not irreplaceable. Well, she's burning on the inside. She's fuming. She thinks, why the nerve of that guy? He first told me to do this and now he blames me for not doing that. Well, I'll get them done all right. So Mrs. Smith goes to the receptionist. She says, I need some help, and I need it right now. I have to get these five letters typed within an hour. You just drop everything you do. You don't do anything around here anyway. You read your email all day. You're on social media. You're on Facebook. Oh, occasionally, you answer the phone, and you are not irreplaceable. I can get a new receptionist if I need one. Well, she thinks, imagine that. She begins to fume on the inside. All these people around here, they just drink coffee. They're out on the golf course chatting all the time. I'm the one who represents the face of this company. They call me. I'm the one who interfaces with these people. This company would not be this company were it not for me. She drives home. She sees her 12-year-old son. What are you doing here laying on the floor? I told you to clean up this kitchen. 
and when you look at yourself, you tore those blue jeans. Go to your room. No supper for you tonight. You talk about being heated, that little guy says. I tore my jeans cleaning up the yard as she asked me to do. I was doing something for her. He goes upstairs. He yells at the cat. You've been up to no good anyway. Get out of my way. Now, I want to ask you a question. Would it not be a lot simpler for Mr. Arson just to have driven to the home of the receptionist and yelled at that cat himself? But you see, James is telling us it doesn't work that way. The tongue is like an arsonist who sets on fire the course of life. Like a hellish arsonist, Proverbs says it this way, a worthless man digs up evil while his words are like scorching fire. A perverse man spreads strife and a slanderer, or you might render it a gossip or a whisperer, as the King, King James says it, separates intimate friends. There are a lot of people who would never think of using vulgarity Never tell a dirty joke, but they gossip, they grumble, they criticize. And James is saying, listen, you are setting into motion a series of consequences that will affect the course of life. The potential for evil is great. If your father raised you where he was always demeaning you, for some of you, unless the grace of God intersected that life, you're still living with that consequences. It still affects you. And some parents say they, they criticize their children more than they ever tell them what they're doing right. The power to change the course of a life for good or for evil is great. You think about it. A dozen guys and women are applying for a particular job. They all appear to be equally qualified. All excelled in their class. All have sterling resumes. All have master's degrees. But you're in that interview, and you said just one word. And that one little word that you said got you the job. Or think about that woman that you proposed to. One little proposal will change the course of your life. In fact, your tongue defines in many ways who you are and where you will end up. An evil tongue makes people think that you are evil. A complaining tongue will make people think that you are a whiner, that you are discontented. A dirty tongue will make people think that you are a dirty old man or woman. An untruthful tongue will make people think that you are a dishonest person. So the tongue defiles. It pollutes like a sewer pipe. The tongue destroys like a hellish arsonist setting on fire the course of life. But notice, too, the tongue devours. The tongue devours. Beyond defiling and destroying, we learn that the tongue devours. Point C, if you're taking notes. In verse 7, he describes the tongue like a wild beast. The tongue devours, devours like, a, like a beast. Notice what he says here in verse 7. Is it any wonder that God put the tongue in a cage behind teeth and walled it in with a mouth? Notice, for every species of beast and birds of reptiles and creatures of the sea is tamed and has been tamed by the human race. So James groups animals into pairs, those which walk and those that fly, those that crawl and those that can swim. And aren't you amazed what trainers can do with animals? I am. We've tamed lions and horses and elephants and dolphins and parakeets and eagles and whales and we train sails to clap and elephants to twirl and horses to jump on command. 
The power is absolutely incredible. And by the way, the word here, the Greek word that's used for tame, does not imply perfect domestication, but bringing an animal under control for the purpose of the trainer. Many years ago, when we were living in Texas, we went to the Texas State Fair, and I said, let's go to the bird show. So we went to the bird show, and it was a outside amphitheater, probably around 400 people, if I remember it correctly. And, and the man who was on the platform said, I need an adult to volunteer. And my two sons, Jeremy and Jordan, kind of prodded me to raise my hand. So I raised my hand, and out of all those people, yes, I was picked. And I came up on the platform, and he was showing us the power of a mighty hawk. Now, if you've ever been to the Texas State Fairgrounds, there's a Ferris wheel. It's called the Texas Giant. And when we were there at the time, they would brag that this was the largest Ferris wheel in the world. It's not any longer. And, the war, and, the, and this Ferris wheel, about a mile away, on the very top carousel, there was a man standing there with a red flag holding a hawk on his arm. And he said, ladies and gentlemen, that man is going to release this hawk that hawk. And uh, he said to me, do you have any money in your pocket? And I reached in, I pulled out a dollar bill and he put a glove in my hand and he said, now I want you to hold that up and I don't want you to move. Be still. And so he waved his flag and the man waved his flag and he released the hawk. And that hawk made these huge circles and they got tighter and tighter and tighter and tighter. Then at one point it came down like a kamikaze pilot. He hit the air brakes, grabbed my dollar bill and landed perfectly on the perch. And the whole place exploded and cheered. After all, I was the hero. Huh. <laughs> at least in the eyes of my two boys, five and seven at the time. James is saying... For every species of beasts and birds, of reptiles and creatures of the sea is tamed and has been tamed by the human race. And then he delivers some stunning news. Our tongue is a one-of-a-kind creature that cannot be tamed by man. Because of the fall, mankind has lost the commanding ability over the tongue. He has lost dominion over the tongue. We can train seals and lions and dolphins and whales. But we can't tame this little tongue. In fact, he says in verse 8, but no one, circle those two words, no one. They may be the most two important words in the whole paragraph. No one can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil full of deadly poison. Now, in Greek, no one literally means no one without exception. Circle those words, no one, because the tongue is untrainable and untamable by man. Yes, it lives in a small ivory cage, but we can't control it. It can crush, it can kill, it can hurt like restless evil full of deadly poison. We used to say it as kids. I don't think kids say it anymore. I don't think they know it anymore. But when you were bullied and you were called some name, you would say, sticks and stones can break my bones, but names will never hurt me. And of course, that's not true. Words can hurt. They're like deadly poison. A woman came to John Wesley, the great Episcopalian who came to this country, rode horseback for 80,000 miles preaching the gospel. He never became a Methodist, but because of his methodical way in which he followed up new believers, they formed a denomination known as Methodists. 
And she came to Pastor Wesley one day and she said, I think I know what my gift is. God has given me the gift of being able to speak my mind. To which he wisely replied, I don't think God would mind if you buried that gift. <laughs> Speaking everything that comes to your mind is unwise. It's poisonous. Proverbs says, death and life are in the power of the tongue, and those who love it will eat its fruit. In fact, the bitter pain of a word against us can last a lifetime, and a broken bone can heal so much faster. Paul says this in Galatians 5, but if you bite and devour one another, take care that you're not consumed by one another. Isn't that a strange thing that he's writing to believers? They're practicing Christian cannibalism, biting and devouring one another with their words. It's destructive, like a poison that has entered in. We, we saw one government trying to destroy one of the water systems recently in the United States, and they introduced poison into the clean water. Thank God they caught it. Now, none of us would let loose poisonous snakes in this auditorium this morning. But what about our poisonous tongues? Sometimes it's just a sarcastic, biting, unkind, gossiping word that's like a poison that will tear apart a life. There is the influence of the tongue. There is the iniquity of the tongue. Third and finally, James speaks of the inconsistency of the tongue. When he describes the tongue's inconsistency, he makes three points. First, he reminds us that all Christians are guilty. All Christians are guilty. Look at verse 9. With it, we bless our Lord and Father, and with it, we, circle that word we again, second time, with it, we curse men who have been made in the likeness of God. Now, I appreciate that James would include himself by using the first person plural pronoun. He doesn't say, with it, you bless our Lord, with it, you curse each other. No, he says, we all do this. Even a mature apostle can at times misuse his tongue. Whether you are the mature believer or whether you are the newly born again Christian, it's a battle within. And it's sobering to think that we can do this to someone who is made in God's likeness. Some Christians might be tempted to say, well, what I said is not really all that bad. What I'm saying about this person is not all that destructive. But when you speak against another person, and we'll see there is a place to reveal, before we're done with this epistle, false doctrine and false teachers. He's not talking about that here. He's talking about destructive, poisonous words that we may use. We studied not long ago, God said, not only honor the king, but honor all men. It might be the sales girl in Walmart. It might be the person behind the counter of McDonald's. It might be the person on the phone that has aggravated you to no end and they can't seem to get anything done. And God says, that person is made in my likeness. That person is made in my image. And so you're not to demean that person. James wants us to know that God is interested not only in what we say in here, but what we say out there. We're all guilty of inconsistency in at least two ways. With our tongue, point B, we bless. With our tongues, we bless. Look at verse 10. From the same mouth come both blessing and cursing. My brethren, these things ought not to be this way. 
Isn't that interesting? We can go to church, we can read the Bible, we can sing the hymns, we can praise God, we can share a testimony, we can pray together, and 10 minutes after we leave the church, we're scorching the most significant people in our lives. With the tongue, we can pray, we can teach, we can praise, but we can also attack and destroy. We can sing, oh, for a thousand tongues to sing my great Redeemer's praise. And then in the car on the way home, we're gossiping about some person we encountered. Now, the word bless here is a compound word, ulageo. U means good or well. Legeo means to speak. And so the Greek word ulageto gives us our word eulogy. We had a funeral here yesterday, and there were, were several people who eulogized that brother in Christ who went home to be with the Lord. Now, I've been at some funerals, not that I've done, understand, where people have been eulogized. I'm thinking, is that the same fellow? I mean, it does, I didn't know him to be that. But you don't usually speak negatively of someone at a funeral. In fact, people tend to overstate the case. Oh, this dear man, he never said an unkind word in his whole life about another person. I've heard that in so many funerals here. But of course, James would not say that's true. He said, we've all been guilty of saying unkind words. With our tongues, we bless, but also with our tongues, we curse. Let me read the first part of verse 10 again. From the same mouth comes both blessing and cursing. Now, we should also note that the Greek word translated here, cursing, is not the word for profanity or vulgarity. It's a word that means a demeaning word, a cutting word, an unkind word. It literally means calling down curses. When you slander someone, when you gossip against someone, when you make an unfair, unjust accusation against someone, you are calling them down. You are putting yourselves above them as if you are better, and you are calling them down. And so James says it shouldn't be this way. Our vocabulary with one another should not bring our fellow brothers down. Like a spring of water from the same fountain should not come both bitter water and sweet water in, in bad water. Does a fountain send out from the same opening both fresh and bitter water? And the rhetorical answer is absolutely not. Of course it does not. I mean, what kind of fountain would we have where at the same time it can put out both sweet water and bitter water? Yet James says, that's what our tongue does. Now notice verse 12. Can a fig tree, my brethren, produce olives, or a vine produce figs? Nor can salt water produce fresh? James is saying that not even nature behaves like the tongue. God's ways are always consistent. An olive tree doesn't produce figs. A fig tree doesn't produce bananas. A fresh water fountain doesn't produce bitter water. And James is reminding us that all of God's creation is consistent. But the tongue, because of the fallen nature of man, is not. Let me give you three words by way of application this morning of how we can bring our tongues under control. Three simple words. The first word is confess. Confess your sin. We must confess our sin. Now, the word confess, homo, legao, homo, we get our word homosexual, homo sapien. It means the same, legao, to speak. When we confess, we're speaking the same thing that God says. We can't blame. We can't say, well, the reason I got so angry is because you did this to me. No, all they might have done was surface what was already in the well. 
We can't make excuses. We have to own our sin if we're ever going to make any progress. And if you want to check your spiritual temperature this morning, take a hard look at your tongue. Check out the fruit of your lips. Because again, the mouth speaks that which fills the heart. But God promises us if we confess our sins, he is faithful time and time again. He is righteous. He's not violating his character, both to forgive us and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. That is a verse not written to the lost. It's a verse written to the saved who have already received eternal forgiveness. And this verse is written in the context of not getting saved again or keeping your salvation, but maintaining your intimacy with God, that the spirit of God has freedom to work in your life. So confess. The second word, closely related, is depend. Depend on the Holy Spirit. We must depend on the Holy Spirit. You see, the problem is not our tongues. The problem is our hearts. And you, cannot, you might as well try to control your tongue as you can control the Niagara Falls. You can't do it. He said, no one can control the tongue. King David so wisely wrote in Psalm 141, 3, set a guard, he prayed, set a guard, Yahweh, set a guard, O Lord, over my mouth. Keep watch over the door of my lips. He wrote in Psalm 19, let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord. We need the Holy Spirit of God. We need the Lord God. And under the new covenant, he has sent the spirit to live in us. And so Paul says to the church at Galatia, I say, walk by the spirit that you will not carry out the desires of the flesh. I've written it in the flyleaf of every Bible I've ever bought. When I try, I fail. When I trust, I succeed. I heard those words as a new Christian in Park Street Congregational Church from Corey Timboom. And in those words is a wealth of theology. When James says no one can tame the tongue, he is actually giving us hope because he wants us to know that while you can't tame it, God can through the indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit. So stop trying and start trusting and depending on someone who can do it for you. Paul will say to the church at Coloss, as you've received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him. How did you receive Christ Jesus the Lord? You came in a state of total bankruptcy. If you were saved, you came to God bankrupt, admitting you could do zero to earn salvation, and you put your full weight of confidence in what Jesus did by his death, burial, and resurrection to save you and to change you. That's how you now walk in him. With the same sense of bankruptcy, Lord, you must do it through me because when I try, I fail. When I trust, I succeed. The third word is meditate. We must meditate on Scripture. Only the believer who's controlled by the Spirit of God will begin to display the fruit of the Spirit. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, and last in the list, self-control. James has already stated in chapter 1 that the Christian who looks intently at the perfect law, the law of liberty, that's the one who finds real genuine freedom. And so the Holy Spirit of God uses the Word of God as you meditate on Scripture to change us. If you go home and you feed on trash tonight, just forget it. Again, I'm wary of these pastors who are giving these illustrations from R-rated movies trying to relate to the culture. They've got their mind in the gutter. 
If you're going home and you're watching the average television program and downloading the average movie, and I know there are bright exceptions, don't think God's going to change you because he does not. He does not work in a dirty heart, and the word of God that you may meditate on and think on will never really take root in a life-changing way. Now, if you're here and you've never met Christ, you don't have the Holy Spirit. And the self-improvement program will never work for you. You must be born again to enter the kingdom of God. That's not just a description of, you know, these enthusiastic Christians. Well, I'm a Christian, but he's the born-again kind. No, unless you are born again, you will never see the inside of heaven. And the only way for you to be born again is to come to Jesus, to own your sin. If you're not willing to call it sin, you'll never be saved. I spoke to someone this week, this past week now, and wanted to know what I thought about incest and homosexuality, and transgenderism. This is what the generation that is growing up is thinking. What's really wrong with it? Everything. Just like fornication and adultery and drunkenness, and yes, the misuse of the tongue. The ground is leveled the cross. We need a Savior, and only Jesus can save. Now, our Holy Father... We thank you that in your providence, that after the Lord Jesus was born of the Virgin Mary, that he had at least four other brothers and sisters, plural, and that one of those dear brothers that grew up with him was this man, James, who gave us this letter. Thank you for what you did in his life after the resurrection. And thank you for the instruction he is giving us to shape our lives and to conform us more, Lord Jesus, into your precious image. We heed the words that he gave us in the first chapter, that we don't want to be those who just hear the word and don't apply it. So help us to take a hard look this afternoon. Where there's a need for confession, may we bring it to your throne of grace to find cleansing. May we depend not on ourselves, but admit our total inadequacy. For Lord Jesus, you said without you, we can do nothing. May we learn to depend upon the Spirit. Teach us to walk by the Spirit. And may we fill our minds in a clean heart with the truth of Holy Scripture. Father, I pray for someone because I know there's someone in some state, some country that is live streaming, maybe in one of these auditoriums or in one of our campuses this morning, who's never met Jesus Christ. They do not have the assurance that if this were their last day, that heaven would be their home. Help them to embrace your free gift, paid for in full with the precious blood of the Lord Jesus. Thank you that you can say that if we'll call on his name, we will instantly and forever be saved. Help someone, Father, by the work of the Spirit to say, Lord Jesus, save even me. And I ask it for your glory and in your holy name. Amen. As Pastor Carl pointed out, we can begin to control our tongues by confessing our sins, depend on the Holy Spirit to change our hearts, and meditate on Scripture daily. If we do this, surely we will begin to bear the fruits of the Spirit. If you enjoyed today's message, you can order a CD or DVD copy by calling Search the Scriptures at 877-787-7478 and requesting program James 007. 
Please remember, you can support the ministry of Search the Scriptures by calling, or you can give online at searchthescriptures.org. Your generous donation plays an important role in providing biblical teaching and spreading the gospel. Tomorrow, Pastor Carl will continue his series on James. Join us then as we search the scriptures.